Church, it was one of those mornings in worship where, oh, man, I just felt the affirmation of the Holy Spirit. It was so good. Do you ever have those times in worship where you're just like, man, I don't want to sit down right now, but I almost feel like I need to sit down. I had one of those kinds of mornings where I'm like, it's kind of hard to stand up right now. This is incredible. And what I want to say in response to that is I just want you to have an open heart. And so even prior to the receiving of the word this morning, I just want you to imagine your heart just being wide open. Open your heart up wide for what the Holy Spirit is going to want to do. We, we sang a lot about love this morning. We sang a lot about the love of God and about forgiveness. And these are strong themes that are going to come out in the preaching of the word this morning. Amen? So right now, God, my heart is open. My heart is wide open to the way that you're going to minister to me today. Um, last week, Pastor Rick launched us into a new series, and it is all about relationships. We're calling it relational, uh, Relationship Toolbox. And I listened to that message last night. It was one of those messages where I'm like, wow, I think I need to listen to that again. And then again, <laughs> there's so, so much in that message. I loved the theme about our connection to Christ is what connects us most powerfully to one another. It's our connection to Jesus. And, and Rick talked about seven points of good relationship. There are so many tools that are just going to be coming at you in this series. But he talked about love, honor, self-control, responsibility, truth, faith, vision, all of these things, uh, effective tools and helping us build uh, lasting connections. Um, Rick's message last week was called uh, Connect, Disconnect, Reconnect. Connect, disconnect, reconnect. How many of you have figured out that every relationship includes these things? The goal is connection, but then sometimes we get hurt, don't we? And some of you have been hurt really, really bad, and there was a disconnect when that happened. And the goal is when we disconnect, we need to use the tools that God has given us to reconnect. We do. This is the way that relationships go, back to a place of life and prosperity in the relationship. And that, in many ways, kind of sets the course for where my message is moving this morning. Um, Rick really focused so much on connection. It was the majority of his message. I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm going to focus a bit on disconnection today. That's, that's kind of where I'm going. Um, now, over the past few months, why am I doing this right now? I've heard many stories of people who have been hurt. And we hear that on Sunday, and we hear that at morning prayer and evening prayer, people who have been hurt, whether in their marriages, uh, maybe by their children, maybe by other people in the church. We hear about people in their work relationships, just these difficulties and hurt that resonates in those places. And, and what's been resonating in my heart is, what does it mean to persevere in love even when we're hurt by the people that we do life with? How do we persevere in love? How do we persevere in forgiveness? The love of God is so powerful. And church, you and I ought to be just bubbling over, overflowing with the love of God all the time. One of the passages that we read at weddings all the time, I love this. I've, I did my 10th wedding this summer. It was so much fun. I did my brother uh, John's wedding. But I read this at his wedding. And, uh, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to start out my message with a portion of that. Um, it's all about love. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not love, it says I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Church, I want you to repeat after me. Love never fails. How many of you heard some tools in there? Well, so many tools. We're talking about relationships, and there are tools that we see in this passage. So many tools. And I love the toolbox, Rick, that you had on stage. Last week, he had a toolbox, and maybe the box that holds all the tools together is love. And so we see tools like patience, kindness, humility, honor, forgiveness, all expressed through the way that you and I love each other. God calls us to love. God is love. That's a scripture. And God calls us to love even those who have hurt us. And so with that, how about I just pray for some real power this morning? Because I need power. You need power. Some of you, a wall went up when I said, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Come on, let's break down that wall. We're going to see some forgiveness today. God bless the church. Lord, I just believe that worship paved the way for this message, God. Fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in your love. And God, we're going to come to the altar today, and we're going to be altered. And we just thank you for the forgiveness that was bought with us by the, uh, for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have experienced ultimate forgiveness, ultimate reconciliation. And so we just pray for that power, the power of your spirit to flow so that your people might receive uh, forgiveness this morning and be able to forgive others as well. Amen. All right, God calls us to love. We know that church. Uh, and I'm sure we'd recognize that, but it's painstakingly difficult to do that when we are called to love people who hurt us. We're talking about relationships called to love people who have hurt us. There's a pastor that I follow on Facebook. I followed him for a couple years now. His name is Jensen Franklin. I don't know if you've heard of Jensen. Um, he wrote a book on loving people who have hurt you. And a lot of my content today, I pulled it from Pastor Jensen. But he has this quote, which is an amazing quote. I titled my message after it. It is a challenge to Christians that we are to love like we've never been hurt. Love like we've never been hurt. I told somebody the title of my message this week, and they said, oh, that's impossible. <laughs> and maybe for some of you, when I say God calls you to love like you've never been hurt, you're sitting there going, that's impossible. I'm going to try to convince you today that you can do it through Jesus inside of you, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your relationships. You can love like you've never been hurt. But where did this thought come from? Love like you've never been hurt. It actually did not originate with Pastor Jensen. I'm going to tell you where it came from. It was first said by a baseball player. We're going to put a picture of him up on the slide. Uh, he was an African-American who began playing baseball in the 1920s, but went on to play 20 years of professional baseball in the professional league. This guy's name is Leroy Satchel Page. Anybody heard of Leroy Satchel Page? Yeah, a few people. Awesome. The amazing thing about Satchel Page was that he played baseball in a time when he was the only black man on the field pitching. He was a pitcher. 
And he was criticized. I mean, people in the stands and on the field would scream racial slurs at him. They would slander him for the color of his skin. Incredible. But one of the stories that is verified about Satchel Paige and his team verified this was that in an attempt to humiliate him, uh, this other team lined up their four best batters. And they're trying to intimidate him. And Satchel Paige said, all right, let's do it. And he struck all four of these all-star athletes out in a row. He was an amazing, amazing athlete, this guy. And so many times he would play two games a day. And he had some famous pitches. Um, one of them was called the hesitation pitch. I was on YouTube this week and I was watching him. A really lanky ball player. But he would do this hesitation pitch. And he would pause in such a way that it would throw off whoever was batting. And that's how he struck so many people out. But uh, Satchel Paige was a real character. Apparently, he was a real goofball. And, uh, and he loved quotes. I'm also a guy that I just always have a quote. I love quotes. But one of them was, work like you don't need the money. He would always, work like you don't need the money. He would say that. He would say, dance like nobody's watching. And then this one is truly transformative. Again, it's the title of my message. He was attacked and he was slandered. And the media, sometimes the media asks really stupid questions. How do you feel about that? <laughs> How would you feel about that? And he's like, well, you've got to love like you've never been hurt. And it was like, wow, that's an incredible thought. That's powerful. And so church, sooner or later, everyone in this room is going to get hurt. Can we just own that? We're all going to get hurt. We're going to be rejected, let down, talked about. Maybe it's already happened. And you're going to have an intense conflict. Very often it seems to happen with those who are closest to us. Maybe a family member. You're going to be stabbed in the back. And even as I bring up those things, offense, rejection, gossip, you know, all these things, faces are coming to mind. Most of the time, the people that you have loved the most will hurt you the deepest. It's just that way. But the revelation that I'm getting to is we cannot go through life believing that this is never going to happen, that we're never going to get hurt. Let's just shatter that. I even tell people that come to the church, and this has happened to me probably a dozen times, seriously. People come to the church and they say, oh, this church, this is a church like no other. This is so much better than the other churches that I've been to. You are amazing people. Man, I love the leadership. I love the vision. And there's just a hesitation in me when people do that because that's great as long as we have the same perspective, as long as we have the same theology, as long as we have the same lifestyle. Why don't you stick around and do life with us for a little bit? Then maybe you'll figure out, well, we're going to disagree on some things. There might be some conflict, but we need to love like we've never been hurt. Amen? And so we need to build that kind of theology. Let's just build that kind of a Christian perspective because it is one that is all over the Word of God. It is all over the pages of Scripture. And so I thought maybe we'd just skip a stone across the Old Testament and the New Testament. I was thinking about Joseph this week. And there's a story where Joseph is standing and his brothers are brought in and Joseph has the keys to the kingdom, man. He has all the corn and all the crops in the world. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man. And everybody in other nations, are, they're, they're, they're visiting Egypt because there's this huge famine and Egypt has food. There's favor upon Egypt. Joseph is Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt. Joseph's brothers show up. And if you back up a few chapters, these are the same brothers that threw him in a pit. 
They threw him in a pit. Uh, you know, they, they sold him as a slave. They doused his coat in blood. They told his father that he had been ripped apart by wild animals. I mean, brutal. But in a moment when Joseph had all the power and his choices could have affected his brother's lives forever, I mean, he made a decision to forgive. He made a decision to extend grace and to love because we read it, love never fails, and we said it. Joseph could have said, you guys threw me in a pit. I'm going to put you in the ground. I'm going to use the weight of my authority and position that I have, and I'm going to crush you guys right now because I have the power. Um, I've seen this happen before, but some people wait until their opponent or maybe their family member is, it, is down and they're in a hard place, and then you hear it in their language. They say, <laughs> serves them right. I'm glad to see them in a rough place, and that comes from hurt in the heart when they say that. But Joseph said, I am going to love these brothers of mine who have done so wrong to me. And I just want you to pause on that. Let's just think about the results of Joseph loving that way and forgiving that way. Joseph saved his family because of that, that, that grace, that persevering love, that forgiveness. He, he saved his family. God wants to save your family. What could forgiveness and persevering love do in your family? Man, we've seen an unwillingness to do that devastate families for generations, but what could it do in your family? Another example, Moses wanted to set God's people free, but he failed, at least the first time. He kills a guy, he's trying to set free the Israelites, and then he runs into the desert, and uh, he failed miserably, and he ends up spending 40 years in the desert, four decades to think about how he was treated by his Israelites' uh, brothers and sisters, by the Pharaoh, who was formerly his adopted family. You know, some people stay in that hurt a long time. It has, I mean, 40 years to kind of meditate and go on that. Some people have been hurt a long time ago, and they're still there. But then God speaks to him and says, go back to those same people and set them free. I had a laugh when I read that a little bit. I was like, do you ever get frustrated by God? God, God says, go and embrace the people who hurt you. Isn't it just so like God to do that? Go and embrace the people who have hurt you. Now, that's how Moses led a nation who was enslaved into freedom. And I want to ask you, because I'm building a case here, could your decision to love be a step toward freedom for a loved one or a struggling friend? Could your decision to forgive and love get them out of that place where they're stuck and into freedom? Uh, how about David? King David. David had a father who didn't believe in him. His name was Jesse. Oh, David, he couldn't be anointed king. You know, the prophet's there to anoint the future king of Israel. David, he's just out in the field with the sheep. He's just a boy. David had brothers who made fun of him. They belittled him. He had a father-in-law who tried to kill him. Saul, my father-in-law, it hasn't happened yet. He's never tried to kill me. I'm so thankful for that. And then even after David becomes king, he had a wife who put him down, who made fun of him and mocked him for worshiping before the Lord. Listen, it's not as though you get hurt, you get over it, and it never happens again. This is like, we could spend the whole message on David. David had a son named Absalom who broke his heart. Again, tried to kill him. You thought your family was messed up. Man, you thought your family was dysfunctional. But um, how about this next one? This next one might throw you a little bit. Um... Does God ever call you to love him like you've never been hurt? 
Does God ever call you to love him like you've never been hurt? It's one thing when it's your kid. It's, it's another thing when it's a coworker or a parent. But what do you do when, from your perspective, God is not acting like he's supposed to act? What do you do? How do you love God that way? There's a guy named Job in the Bible. And Job had the perfect life. I mean, wealth, good fortune, lots of kids. He was the poster child for prosperity. And then he lost all 10 of his kids. This, his roof, this roof fell in on them. And then he got all these sores all over his body and he was in agony and talk about marriage dysfunction. His wife yells at him and she lost faith and she said, curse God and die. Again, things that have never happened to me. Chantel's never said that. But Job had four friends who, who sat in a circle around him for seven days and they did nothing but heap accusation on him. They called him a hypocrite. They called him a liar. They told him that the judgment of God was why he was sick and why he had lost everything. That's brutal. That's like spiritual abuse. Have you ever had someone try to explain away your misfortune by saying, well, God made it happen that way. God wanted it to happen. Job had that happen. But in a moment, instead of abiding in bitterness, Job is this incredible story about forgiveness. He chose to love God. He chose to love his wife. He chose to love his terrible friends. The result of that story, again, amazing. Because God restored him and gave him many times over what he had lost. Job is such a great example. The whole Bible is full of these stories. Joseph, Moses, David, Job. Is there one I'm missing? Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. He was afflicted, he was beaten, he was wounded, he was crucified on the cross. What did Jesus say from the cross, church? Yet from the cross, he lifts his voice and not even waiting for the soldiers to apologize. Sometimes we're like, oh, we're going to wait for that person to apologize, oh, people who hurt me. Not even waiting for the mobs to say, we got it wrong. Sorry, you're up there, Jesus. That didn't happen. Jesus raises his voice and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness, what a tool in your toolbox. Jesus made a decision because forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. Our culture has bought into that, and man, it is all wrong. The church has bought into that. We buy into things from the world, but it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. It is part of loving people like Jesus. Don't wait until you get that rush of I feel better in the heart. Forgive. And so what is God saying to you as I talk about loving people like you've never been hurt? Maybe faces are coming to mind again. Maybe there's a part of you that wishes that I would talk about the pain and the trauma and the disappointment and the hurt. Peter, can we just stay in that place of meditating on how I feel about it? I'm not against that. I'm not. I believe there's a place for processing, but I would much rather focus on decisions, come on, that you and I need to make. Because deciding to love is very often the thing that helps us get to the place that we want to be, through the hurt and to the healing. It doesn't take a feeling, it takes a decision. And so what's, what's practical today for you? Some of you have adult children that you haven't seen in years. How do I know that? I was talking to a guy in my office less than two weeks ago, and uh, his daughter's 23, and uh, he hasn't seen his daughter since, since she was 16. And he's just, 
it was unbelievable. He just sat in my office, this guy that's almost 60 now, and he was just bawling. He was just weeping. He's like, I just, I'm so heartbroken over what happened with my daughter. And as pastors, we hear things like, I haven't spoken to my son in over a year. Um, we hear grandparents say, I have a granddaughter. She was born six months ago. Haven't seen her yet. Haven't held her. Or I had a conflict with my mom. We don't talk anymore. But church, this shouldn't be normal for us who are in Christ. This shouldn't be normal for us who are in Christ. Maybe for someone in the room today, there are family members who live just down the street. Come on, you can walk to their house. You can drive an hour and you're there. But you don't even feel comfortable sending them a text message. You don't even feel comfortable picking up the phone because there's hurt. Our culture has taught us something, and this is terrible, that we can write people off when they hurt us. Let's just write them off. What is, how does Facebook teach you about that? Let's unfollow them. Let's unfriend them. Oh, you know what? I never even want to see them again. Let's block them. Our culture says surround yourself with people who agree with you, people who have never hurt you. That's such a lie. And to clarify, I'm not saying, because some of you are thinking, yeah, well, what about boundaries? I'm not saying that there isn't a place for boundaries. There's always these extremes that happen when we preach messages like this. But I, wanna, I feel the talk about love. I feel the talk about forgiveness and healing and relationship. I want to clarify that boundaries are awesome. We, we could do another message on boundaries, but I have also seen boundaries used in a way that says, I, I have an excuse not to reconcile. Let's not abuse boundaries that way. We run into trouble when we take something that is good and we use it to build a case against something that is also good, something that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. We need to keep our definitions clear, church. Boundaries have a lot to do with wisdom in relationship. Boundaries are not an excuse not to have relationship, especially with people that God is saying, I'm putting my finger on this and you need to reconcile. Oh yeah, well, boundaries. Wisdom in relationship but not an excuse not to have relationship. The Apostle Paul said that you and I have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. And you know, when I read that, I think, well, is that for pastors? Is that for leaders? That is for every single one of us, church. Come on. We start by catching a revelation that God, who is rich in mercy, who knows the truth about you, he took the first step to reconcile you to him. And even when we had no righteous compass, even when we were stuck, God made the first move. God reached out to you and I, and he sent Jesus. And I want you to listen to this. Very often, those who forget to forgive have forgotten how much they've been forgiven. When you forget to forgive, you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. You and I have experienced ultimate forgiveness. And now God says, come on reconcile with one another. You have Christ. You have my spirit. You are a minister of reconciliation. And so I'm looking right at you today, whoever you are. You are a minister of reconciliation. You know, I called both my parents this week and I said, is it okay that I talk about this? My dad's here today. And he said, yeah. But I've learned that my parents didn't do everything right. I've learned that my parents didn't do everything right. They, they did a lot of things really, really well, but they made some mistakes. And both my mom and my dad said that. Yeah, absolutely. And if I wanted to, I could be a victim of that because I see adult children doing this. I see teenagers doing this. I could be a victim and I could focus my attention on the things that really hurt me. 
But I ask myself, what benefit would that be to the relationship that I want to have with my parents for decades to come? And what benefit would that be to my children who have an innocent and pure relationship with grandma and grandpa? And as a parent now, this kind of helps me preach this with integrity. I understand that parenting is challenging. You get there when you have little kids. I have compassion for my parents. And my kids are still little, and some of you have older kids, but let's just level the playing field and say, man, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Yeah, we need the Holy Spirit. Your kids are 8, they're 18, they're 28, it doesn't matter. You need the Holy Spirit. Chantelle and I were disciplining Abria. We keep having more kids, and then we're reminding ourselves that we still have to parent them when they get older. <laughs> so, my wife keeps telling me that. She's like, you want more kids? You understand we still have to parent them. It's not just a matter of them, you know? But Abria was being really defiant. She's five. And so we smacked her bum and we put her to bed. But we always take time to talk when these things happen. And she was being such a tough girl, like pursed lips, frown on her face. And we always pray in the midst of discipline. It's so good. I prayed for her and then I had Abria pray. And prayer is so powerful. It's amazing the authenticity that comes out when you get your kids to pray. But she almost made me cry. She went from being so, so angry with us. And I'll never forget that she was just sobbing on the bed. And she was like, God, I want my mommy and daddy to be nice. I just want my mommy and daddy to love me, God, and to take care of me. And I'm just like, am I blowing it as a parent? What's going on? I'm seriously almost crying with her. I'm just like, this kid, unbelievable. But let me tell you the conversation that we had with my five-year-old. We, we're trying to establish this while they're little. We've had it a several times where we say, listen, Abraham, in as much as you are not perfect, she hasn't quite understood that yet. She goes, I the grown-up. I'm the grown-up when we get into arguments with her. But in as much as she's not perfect, we're like, mommy and daddy are going to get it wrong sometimes. We're not perfect but we're really, really trying, Abria. We need God's help. And so there have been moments with our kids where we've needed to be heavy-handed. There have been moments where we've had to be so humble. There have been moments where we've had to apologize to our five-year-old. And I want to address some young people. We always have young people in the room. We've got a lot of youth here. But there's, you know, your parents won't always get it right. They won't. And in as much as young people, you might deserve discipline, there may be times where you need to forgive your parents. You need to forgive them for big things, for little things, and all things. If you're a young person, again, doesn't matter if you're like me and you're 31 or if you're 13, we have to forgive our parents. Prioritize relationship over the hurt. What does it mean to prioritize relationship over the hurt? Very often, all of us, again, moms, dads, kids, we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, maybe quick to just pray together. That's what it comes down to with Abria sometimes. We're just going to pray for you, honey, and she's so mad, and then she prays. But I want to ask you, how do you respond to those that you're in relationship? Let's just talk about your responses for a minute. Hmm. Are you combative, argumentative? Are you defensive? Let the Holy Spirit touch on that today. Are you combative, argumentative, defensive? Are you explosive when things don't go your way? Or do you care? Are you soft? Do you listen? Do you love and encourage? And here's a word we don't hear much. Do you defer sometimes? 
to your spouse, to that person at work? Are you patient with them? How do you respond? Let the Holy Spirit touch that. There's an analogy that I want to talk about. I read it this week, and it points to the power of responses, uh, expressions, body language, tone, especially the words that we speak. But I was in the dictionary this week, and I looked up the word nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin, the things that pastors study, that's not in the Bible. That's scientific, but nitroglycerin. And it has two definitions. The first definition says an explosive poisonous liquid used in making dynamite. Whoa, nitroglycerin. But then literally the next line, same sentence, it says a medicine used to promote the dilation of blood vessels, and then it says used to heal hearts. Isn't that incredible? That's unbelievable. Listen, the same stuff that is used to blow up bridges can settle your heart. And the same stuff that can bring devastating harm, it is used to heal. And, and man, just come on, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. All of that potential for good or for evil is summed up in the way that you love your family, you love your friends, everyone around you. Um, I was reminded this week, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. We're talking about this product that is controlled in such a way that it heals. And so be ever filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can respond well to people with that which is inside of you. Some of you have kids who are, who have, some of you have kids who are teenagers, young adults, maybe older and they have families now, but you've made, they've made decisions that have broken your heart. You're hurt. You're disappointed. Maybe you're even embarrassed. And you lie awake at night in tears and you're pleading with God, God, move upon my child. They're always your baby. It's amazing how I hear older people say that. Yeah, they'll never stop being my baby, right? But God hears that prayer. He wants to help you. And you know what? Let's flip to the other side. I've met people who grew up in homes where their parents said things and they did things that damaged relationship. Or maybe that happened in youth group or in church. And those homes weren't just ones where, you know, we love to talk about alcohol or abandonment or abuse. Like, yeah, some of you grew up in homes like that. Let's recognize that. But some of you grew up in Christian homes. Christian homes. And maybe parents had blind spots. Maybe church leaders did things. And Christian instruction and discipline really, really hurt those young people. To those of you who grew up in a home or in a church where you got really hurt, let the Holy Spirit minister today. God sees. God knows. God cares about that. You can't change the beginning, but you can change the ending. You can change the ending. You can love your mom or dad. You can start small and let it grow. You know, I've been focusing a lot on family. Um, I really felt led to talk about family this week, because I think there's a lot of family relationships like that. But how about just coworkers? Um, my wife, when early on in our marriage, I think it was like in our first year of marriage, she got a job here in town, and there was a woman in her office that was really hard on her. Some of you have some relationships at work, and man, they're tough. But this woman was crusty, and she came across as picky and obsessive, and it was just the worst, but Chantel felt like she would point out everything wrong that Chantel was doing. You messed this up. Oh, you didn't do this right. And she was impatient. Until one day, my wife came home, and we were having supper together, and she said, you know what? I talked to her about it. 
I went into her office and God led me to be honest with this woman who is so much older than her about how she was making her feel. And I didn't even know it, but Chantel had been praying and praying and praying over that relationship, over that meeting, and she used that opportunity to encourage this woman and to let her know that she really needed encouragement from her too. She said, this is how you're making me feel. This is what I feel I need from you. Rick talked a bit about that last week too. But then Chantel made decisions over the days and weeks and months that followed. Chantel didn't have a change of heart. Her feelings didn't change. Chantel made decisions. She chose to smile. She chose to talk to her. She chose to encourage her, compliment her, to work well with her when they worked together. And what started out so small and was so painful, it was so hard to put on that smile, it was so hard to be that encouraging voice, it got easier and easier and easier and then so much better. That was seven years ago. And now this woman is one of Chantel's best friends in that office. That's the testimony. You know, she loves our three girls. She was, you know, she remembers when each of them were born. She knows that we're having a son in September, and she's so excited for us, right? And we stop by that office, and we visit all the time. The relationship is so good. But it's because Chantel forgave the hurt. She moved on. She loved like she had never been hurt at all. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, some people have asked me before, and it's such a weird question when I'm asked this, do I really need to forgive? Come on, is that even a question? Do I really need to forgive those who have hurt me? The Bible is so clear. Yes. Yes, you need to forgive. Yes, you need to forgive. There was a moment in Scripture where the Apostle Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? And then he's trying to be all hoity-toity and he's trying to be all mature and he goes, up to seven times? Answers his own question. I think Peter was anticipating Jesus to go, whoa, I've never seen faith like this. That's amazing. Up to seven times? Wow, Peter, you're awesome. You just catch these glimpses of people's immaturity. Sometimes we think we're so spiritual. We're so good. We're so mature. We all are until we have to forgive, (laughs) right? But then Jesus answered and I tell you, oh, well, not seven times, but 70 times. Seven times. Wow. Scholars have long debated, why did Jesus give this crazy number? Maybe you're waiting for some theological response from me. What was he saying? What Jesus was saying was, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. It's a constant attitude of love and grace for the people who hurt us. And I need you to get this. This doesn't come from you. This is not, this doesn't come from you. You only get this as you comprehend how much Jesus has forgiven you. That's where that power comes from. And you know, sometimes the relationship needs time and space, but you need to keep something in mind. This is really important. Forgiveness is not just about the other person. Well, I don't want to forgive them because then they get off scot-free. Forgiveness is about releasing the pressure that's in your heart as well. Forgiveness releases pressure that's in your heart. Hallelujah. I'm going to wind down in just a few minutes, but I have another analogy for you. Um, How many of you love ketchup? Some of you saw me walk in with ketchup, and you're like, what is he doing? (laughs) Uh, Matthew Morgan Taylor. Is Matthew here? Yeah, Matthew. I see you at the back. He wears a shirt that says, I put ketchup on my ketchup. 
He loves ketchup. And he has one that says, Jesus loves me from my head to my toes. And so he loves ketchup, Matthew. And so I have a bottle of ketchup with me today. You can offend a French chef with ketchup. I was always that kid. You'd go to a fancy restaurant and they'd get, make you this meal with all these ingredients and I'd be like, can I get some ranch? Ruin it. Can I get some ketchup? <laughs> all those ingredients, right? Most of what you see today is the squeezable stuff, but I was actually shocked that Sobeys had this. I was like, yes, my sermon analogy. That's awesome. Um, but it's a glass bottle and oh, I was so glad to hear that this is true. But did you know that there's a 57 here? How many of you knew that? There's a 57 on this bottle. There's all around where the bottle narrows. Um, now, when you had these bottles in greasy restaurants when you grew up, you want to load some on your fries or on your burger. The first thing is, is it's hard to open. It is really hard to open. But then it is even harder to get the stuff flowing. You look across at the table next to you and somebody's just, just they're trying so hard to get the stuff out. But the good people at Heinz, did you know that they designed a trick? They even had a commercial on this, and the commercial was tap the 57. Tap the 57. So you see people, and then you see people on the 57. And what happens is, is there's pressure in this bottle, and if you tap it on the 57, that pressure is released, and the good stuff begins to flow. Church, the first thing that you need to know about forgiveness is you've got to be open to it. You have to be open to forgiveness. You need to speak to your mom. You need to speak to your sister, your daughter, your friend, coworker. Are you open to having a conversation? Are you open to forgiveness? And then it doesn't all come instantaneously, but there's this process of releasing that takes place. And listen, you might not feel ready to do any tapping in the relationship yet, but I was thinking this week that sometimes the tapping actually begins in your own heart. And it's happening for months, and you just feel the Holy Spirit tap, 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 tap. He's tapping on your heart. You'll know what that feels like because the Holy Spirit will begin leading you to pray for that person, to think positively about that person. And maybe the tapping is you're thinking so negatively and you're like, oh, why does this person keep coming to mind? The Holy Spirit is leading you. And you'll start to change your mind. Scripture will start coming up and you'll begin praying it over that person. But then the tapping will eventually lead to steps in the relationship. It will. And it might be so awkward to begin with, but you'll send them a text. And some of you, you only send scripture verses constantly. Don't do that. Don't just, to somebody who's hurt you, let's just slam them with scripture verses. Listen, God might lead you to do that at some point, but just be normal. Be nice. Okay? Don't over-spiritualize it. Show the person that you care about them. Show an interest in their life. Compliment them. Ask them how they're doing. And as you do that, the relationship will begin to flow. Um, maybe don't go for coffee with them so you have to stare at their face the whole time. Go and have a social event, a barbecue, steak, and just laugh. Have fun. Tap, 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 tap. Come on. For some of you who are grandparents and you think you might have a strained relationship with your kid, this idea came to mind. Love your grandkids. Just love your grandkids. Be the best grandparent that you could possibly be, and that's going to be such a witness to your child. And see, in the simple things, pressure is releasing. Before you know it, family, friends, people you had a distant relationship with, they start showing up in your life just a little, little bit more 
Keep tapping, keep tapping, keep going, keep loving. And as you do, the relationship will begin to flow. Oh, it'll begin to flow. It may not be a tight-knit relationship, super tight, let's hang out every weekend. That's okay. It's all right. But at least there'll be peace in the relationship again. Hallelujah. I'll get uh, Victoria. You can come back. We're going to pray. But church, we serve such a good God. Oh, we serve a good God. Many of you in this room are longing for what I just described, but I know there are people sitting in the room today and you've experienced reconciliation. We could stand up and we could have testimonies right now. Maybe even after years of separation, God did this. And what I've seen in ministry, and I want you to hang on to this thought as well, it's that sometimes the worst done to you can bring out the best in you. Very often a testimony that somebody has comes from the very worst thing that they experienced. God reconciled a marriage. God reconciled a relationship with a child. God reconciled sisters, whatever it may be. God loves to take what is broken and he loves to make it better. He loves to rebuild. You were broken. God made you better through Christ. Sometimes the hurts we experience give us the ability to help other people who are going through hurts themselves. Again, none of us are immune to hurt. It's going to happen. You know, I'm thinking that wiping my kids' snotty noses is probably going to be the least of my problems. Hey? Some of you are like, yeah, it gets a whole lot worse than boogers. It does. Come on. And I have a lot of life to live with those kids. For those of you who have kids, you probably still have a lot of time left children with your parents. I love hearing my mom talk about that. Her dad is, he's going to be 85 uh, next month. And I hear her say, I want to have the best relationship with my dad right now. And so, children, cherish your parents. Love them. Honor them. Forgive them. Don't let these prime years of your life be wasted on an offense. So we're going to pray right now. And uh, I just feel to ask you to be really bold this morning. But I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to minister today. If you are currently going through hurt right now with somebody, family, friend, coworker, and you're just like, they just keep coming to mind throughout this message, we're not going to ask you about it. We're not going to judge you because, again, we're all in the same boat. I'm standing, but I'm actually going to get you to stand. I'm going to get you to say, that's me. I'm dealing with hurt in my heart. There's an offense. Right now, can I just get you to be bold, anybody? If you're like, yeah, somebody's coming to mind. I really felt there was a reason why God wanted me to talk about this today. Yeah. Hallelujah. And now for those of you that are like, there's peace in my relationships. I'm in a good place. We're actually just going to pray for these people. And church, don't let it be, like, if you're standing, it's okay to have people encourage you and pray for you. But just stretch out your hands towards them. If you know them, maybe you can go and place your hand on that person. Yeah. We're just going to pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And so, God, this is a special moment right now. Lord, I'm believing for repentance. God, everything 
in us wants us to pray that the other person would change, but right now, God, I pray that those who are standing, that there would be a shift in their hearts, a shift in their thinking. God, we pray for repentance, we pray for humility, we pray for strength, we pray for a persevering love and for forgiveness. God, we pray that these in this room would be powerful in relationship. God, that they would tap in such a way that relationship would flow powerfully. Holy Spirit, move upon them. God, we pray that they would just draw on their salvation. It's a powerful salvation. The forgiveness and the reconciliation and the healing that they've experienced, that they would draw on that well. And God, it would minister to the relationship that is hurting right now. God, in Jesus' name, fill them overflowing with your love. God, with your forgiveness, with your compassion, with a change in perspective, a change of heart. God, minister very powerfully that we would see testimonies. God, not just stories of hurt, but testimonies of reconciliation because God, you call us to be ministers of reconciliation. And so we just bless the church this morning with that power. In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church said, amen. Amen. For some of you, you can sit down if you like, yeah. For some of you, maybe it's your first time and you're like, I need Jesus in my heart and I need forgiveness and I just wanna ask God to forgive me of my sin. I wanna ask him to come into my life so that I have that new love and that new power. We always wanna give that opportunity. Is there anybody that says, yeah, that's me. I need God, I need Jesus in my heart. Maybe you've never had that opportunity. It is so vital that we always give that opportunity. Anybody? Again, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm just gonna honor your hand when it goes up and pray for you. Amen. Yeah. Well, go and be powerful this week, church, in your relationships. God bless you. I'm just believing for breakthrough in families and friendships and all of it. And so, um, Holy Spirit, just minister all week to these people. And go back and listen to the message again and just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Amen? If you need prayer, I'm just going to invite up some of our leaders, elders, deacons, prayer team. I'm going to be hanging out at the front here. If you just want to come and talk to me, uh, come. I would love to encourage you. I would love to pray for you. Uh, if you have kids, go and get your kids from kids' ministry. Yeah. Awesome. Amen.